Uh, well, hello. Yes, it has been a while since the last uh, regular episode of this podcast. We hope to uh, fix that going forward. Before we get underway, a couple of quick things. One, you can uh, subscribe again uh, with for extra benefits. The subscribe to edict thing is back online at skank.com.au slash subscribe. That's skank.com.au slash subscribe. Uh, or you can still uh, make one-off contributions at stillgarian.com slash tip. That's stillgarian.com slash tip. And I will mention, uh, just for a lot of this podcast, in fact, the first three quarters or so, uh, there are a few problems with the recording of my voice. I hope that doesn't piss you off too much. Uh, and, and indeed, I uh, hope it doesn't piss you off more than the rest of the podcast is bound to. Enjoy. The following episode of the 9pm Edict contains strong language. Thursday, the 21st of March, 2019. Pauline Hansen explains the benefits of Mark Latham. It's going to be so beneficial to the people of New South Wales to have him state leader here. Laura Ingraham has a message for US politicians. Congress needs to get its head out of the sand and stop this madness once and for all. And Nicholas Fryer joins me to complain about things. It, would be, it is getting a bit appalling, isn't it, when you have to go into a... Anytime you go into a bar and order a beer, you have to say, can you have one that doesn't taste like a fruit salad, please? This is the 9pm arch window of the scratchy old woolen sock. I was intrigued uh, this week to see that China, or someone in China, has a database of... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let Time magazine explain it. A Chinese database was discovered online that listed personal information of 1.8 million women, including a, quote, breed-ready status. The database was discovered by Victor Gavers, a Dutchman who works for GDI.Foundation, a nonprofit. In the database, Gavers found listed the names of Chinese women, their ages, and marital status, among other categories. When analyzing the list, Gavers said the average age of the women was 32 years old, while the youngest listed was only 15. Roughly 80% of the 1.8 million women appeared to live near China's capital, Beijing. China ended its one-child family planning policy in 2015 and is facing a declining population, which has been called an official problem by the country's government. Shortly after Gavers posted a screenshot that showed the so-called breed-ready status for the women, the database was taken offline. Gavers told Time that he does not know the owner of the database, and as far as the term breed-ready, Gavers said, quote, to be honest, I hope it was just poor English of the developer. Gavers said he would continue to dig, adding that he would be attempting to contact some of the women on the list to see if they had signed up for something. When China's social network Weibo heard about the situation, some called it a, quote, real-life handmaid's tale. I'm not actually surprised by this for two reasons. One is that uh, China has been doing an awful lot of databases of people for social control, as you may have seen in the media, and I'll probably return to that on a future podcast. Uh, the other thing is, and I'll just say quietly, we don't actually know whether this was anything official or just some dickhead. What's, what's dickhead in Mandarin, I wonder? The other thing is that, of course, the Sydney Young Liberals have probably been running a database like this for decades. Uh, the rootability of uh, young uh, female students is the kind of thing that they would indeed keep a database uh, of, which brings me to Internet Rule 34 and uh, Mark Latham and uh, Pauline Hanson. This is a fight for our civilizational values, for free speech, for merit selection, resilience, love of country, all of them under siege from the left. And a lot of it is happening in state politics as much as federal. 
So it's a big fight, as, as we say every week. And, you know, I, I, I'm in a position and a stage in life where I just can't stand on the sideline talking about it. Uh, I'm so proud to have Mark on board and it's going to be so beneficial to the people of New South Wales to have him a state leader here. Yes, that's right. Mark Latham, former leader of the Labor Party, he could potentially have been Australia's Prime Minister uh, at one point, which is a scary thought, but now he just seems to be a strange, angry old man shouting at the world uh, and uh, in desperate need of medication. I wonder whether Mark Latham and Pauline Hanson are breed ready. Think about that for a while. I mean, I, I know that if I use the phrase angry directionless thrusting with skin flaking off like a burnt sausage roll, I, I'm going to get complaints, right? And I did when I said that on Twitter. But I'd like you to remember this image the next time you bite down on a sausage roll. You will remember this image, the flakes coming off that semi-erect lump of fatty meat. If you find that troublesome, just lie back and think of Bob Santa Maria. Look, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, is it sexist, for example, to, the, to talk about uh, a Congress between Mark Latham and uh, Pauline Hanson as the combination, the Congress of a cucumber well past its use-by date when the black spots start appearing and a scratchy old woolen sock? No, look... I'm sure, I'm sure that Mark Latham would be a, an engaging and considerate lover and skin flaking would not be a significant factor. And let me assure you, the vast majority of sausage rolls would taste nothing like Mark Latham's Membrum Virile, uh, even given uh, the obvious similarity of mouthfeel. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. Joining me on this episode of The Edict is my uh, friend and former housemate, Nicholas Fryer. Hello, Nicholas. How's the year been treating you so far? It's been treating me well better than Mark Latham, I think, um, and, and better than you. I, I understand you've been lurgied. Oh, yes. I'll have a whinge about that in a moment. Or shall I have a whinge about that now? No, no. I'm content for you to drop it in. No, no. I'll, I'll come back to that. No, so uh, things are what, what, well here in Adelaide. Excellent. What's been on your mind? A good deal lately, but most of it fairly unpleasant. It's been, you know, watching the carnival of democracy around the world, watching the American political system dealing with uh, having elected a president who is the sort of equivalent of the kid who could never get his buttons to match up with his holes in his shirt, but still thinks that his own diarrhea is both a good art art uh, material and recess snack as president. Watching Britain tear itself to bits, which is a bit, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. That was actually my clumsy throw for you to go to your first item. Ah, hang on. I need to go and check the running sheet then, don't I? You'll have to edit, edit some of this bit out. I oh, no, I think, I, I, think, I think people need to, to, to hear this sausage being made. <laughs> it's this sausage roll being made. This, the article about China was fascinating um, because I've been thinking a bit about population biology lately. I mean, it all started... As you know, is that just a polite way of saying you've been horny? No, it isn't. Um, it's it's a polite way of saying that I'm glad to have got through the Christmas period and that families have been much on my mind. Families 
like they're a nearly unavoidable part of life for for many of us, and like lots of unpleasant things, we assume that we're still putting up with them. That because we're still putting up with them, they must have been around forever. Because if they weren't inevitable, somebody would have abolished them. But a moment's thought will tell you that that isn't true. Sexual reproduction is probably only about half a billion years old, and even that's too distant because many or most sexually reproducing species don't form families. Population biologists contrast two approaches to the problem of reproduction. A creature can either have loads and loads of kids and basically ignore them, which they call R strategy, probably for reasons, but who cares? And the alternative approach is called K strategy, lowercase r, uppercase k, fuck knows why. And that involves having a few offspring and in investing sort of time and resources into raising them. The point about K strategy is it's basically what we call a family. And it occurred to me as I was suffering through mine over Christmas that it, it only appears as a widespread phenomenon in two evolutionary lineages, that of mammals and birds, where it must have evolved independently because we're not descended from birds or vice versa. So whatever the pathway, the, the lesson's pretty clear. In three or four billion years history of planet Earth, families have only been, only been a feature for the last 100 million years or so, which is less than 5% of that total. Families are not inevitable. Now, the main thing that population biologists people would tell you is that our strategists tend to do best in unstable, weird conditions, which is like when an organism colonises a new territory, which is why rats and mice spread like well, rabbits. K-strategists, by contrast, do better in stable conditions in established ecosystems where everything's hunky-dory. Families are a luxury of what passes in the biological world for middle-class security. Now, the 21st century is shaping up to be a windmesque nightmare of apocalyptic scenarios. No one's quite sure which one's going to get us, whether it'll be greenhouse collapse or meteor strike, endemic wars of resource scarcity or bioengineered walking death plants, but the general picture is, is pretty clear and none of it looks much like middle-class security. So there's a silver lining to all of this. Um, the evolutionary pressure will therefore be away from K strategy towards R strategies. Lots of kids, leave them alone. Whether the world is inherited ultimately by our own heavily modified descendants or any other R strategists like cockroaches, we can at least look forward to the end of the family. And I, th I wondered if this Chinese database had uh, listed uh, you know, such important features for these breed-ready women of uh, how many... Uh, Multiple births were in their families. How many they could pump out? How many they could pump out in a short period of time uh, to, to meet the, the challenging demands of the 21st century environment? I saw this in, in, in another news story in a minute, and I'll link to it on the podcast website. A woman, um, and I think in the United States, went into labour recently and she pumped out six kids in about eight minutes. It's good work, isn't it? That's a high work. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, given the productivity problems that the United States has had uh, with its industrial base, maybe maybe this is an answer. Maybe they could just, you know, uh, line up a lot of women for an ejector sprog. Yeah. I mean, kind of. I mean, that woman is clearly skilled up for the, for the challenging environment we're facing, and we need more like her. Well, Nicholas, as uh, you said before, I've been a, a bit crook. Um, I always keep in mind, though, when I say this, something my GP once told me. I said, I've got the flu. He said, no, you haven't. I said, you haven't examined me yet. He said, no, no, if you had the flu, you wouldn't be sitting there talking to me about it. And he's got a point. Nearly everything, uh, when people say, oh, I've got the flu, it's not. You've got a cold. You might have a cold right up the top end of the bell curve, uh, but you've got a cold. And, uh, you know, he alleges that he never has said to me, 
uh, you've just come in here to have a bit of a sook, haven't you? And look, that's empirically false. He has said that. Uh, but he also gave me some something which the fact that I'm relating it to you is definitely not medical advice, but it is uh, a kind of his, his guideline, uh, guidelines, plural perhaps, for whether you are being a sook or not. And he says, go to your local pharmacy, get an oral digital phenol- uh, thermometer cost you around 10 bucks, perhaps less. It says, measure your temperature. If it's under 37.2 Celsius, normal, go away. If it's between 37.3 and 37.5, have some paracetamol and just keep an eye on it. If it's 37.5 to 38, have some paracetamol, rest, have a look at it, maybe see your doctor. If it's over 38 or over, sure, see your doctor urgently. But other than that, you're being a sook. He did also tell me, that I shouldn't tell people that because it's bad. It's bad for business at the doctor shop. Uh, but he basically doesn't want your germs in his office, which I think is fair enough. I honestly don't understand how doctors aren't sick all the time. I, I think they wash their hands. Well, they may do, but they also have to, you know, come into daily basis with thousands and thousands of people who are covered in horrible pathogens. I mean, it must be awful. Well, well, he did say that since I was in there, and he said, oh, I suppose I better do, you know, the examination. You know, breathe in deeply. I'll listen to your chest. Turn, turn your head sideways. And I said, what difference does that make? And he said, it means you're not coughing at germs all over my, over my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was something to do with measuring, you know, listening to my lungs. No, no, no. Just I don't want you here. Yeah. Um, which, which, which I think. Is, is lovely. Moving on, though, I encountered um, only to date the most hipster, hyper-hipster thing, in fact, that I've ever encountered, a new craft beer which can also develop Kodak Super 8 movie film. <laughs> because <laughs> that's what the world is. Uh, it's a craft brewery called Dogfish Head. It's launching a new Goes beer, G-O-S-E beer, which I have no idea what that even means. Uh, the beer is called Super 8, of course, uh, and the beer has eight special ingredients. Listen to this. Prickly pear, mango, boysenberry, blackberry, raspberry, elderberry, kiwi juices, whatever <laughs> that, that is, and a touch of quinoa, oh. along with an ample addition of Hawaiian sea salt. Do you have to drink it in a dark room? Well, I, th- I think the advantage of that would be no one would see you drinking this abortion of a beer. It would. Be, it is getting a bit appalling, isn't it? When you have to go into any time you go into a bar and order a beer, you have to say, "Can you have one that doesn't taste like a fruit salad, please?" Yes, or that isn't necessarily optimised for developing film. <laughs> but but if you look that out, it's by Dogfish Head Super Eight. They show you the recipe, and yes, Kodak have tested it. Uh, it can actually <laughs> develop Super 8 film. <laughs> Elephant stamp time! <laughs> Elephant stamp time. Most episodes of this podcast, I award elephant stamps of approval for excellence in the category of thinking, and this time I have three. The first one goes to Wallace the Spotted Tail Quoll, uh, those of you who are regular listeners or followers of my Twitter feed will know that a quoll uh, is kind of like the mars- Australian marsupial equivalent to a, a wild cat. 
Uh, so, so some people who in Tasmania who are monitoring the wildlife uh, caught Wallace the spotted tail quoll 10 times in 10 days in, in a trap, including twice in one day. I would like to point out that, Wallace, you are a fucking idiot. You know, I mean, once or twice, sure, you get caught in the trap. But really, elephant stamp of approval to Wallace the quoll. Um, number two goes to Laura Ingraham, which um, Wikipedia describes as an American conservative television and radio talk show host and host of the Ingraham Angle on Fox News Channel. Here is uh, a fascinating uh, viewpoint from her about uh, asylum seekers. Girls are being abused, raped, and in some cases trafficked as part of these caravans, and it is despicable what is happening to these young people. Congress needs to get its head out of the sand and stop this madness once and for all. If someone crosses the border illegally, with rare exception, they should be turned back immediately. Family units or people posing as fam family units would not make this dangerous trek once word spread in their home country. Congress should pass this law. If you want to apply for asylum, that's fine. But you should do so in the safety of your home country or, as, as is beginning to happen now, once you're in the United States and you declare, you should be sent to Mexico until your case comes up for hearing. Now, apart from the fact that this is uh, an asylum seeker policy that has strange uh, echoes in it of Australia's policy. Nicholas, I am fascinated with the idea that if you want to apply for asylum, that you do so from the safety of your home country, because I don't know about you, that strikes me as kind of missing the point. Yeah, I think she has failed to grasp the basic concept there. I was more excited by the idea of uh, once you've made it, if you get onto American soil and then apply for asylum, you should be immediately sent to Mexico. I've always wanted to go to Mexico. Well, that's right. And so maybe we should um, apply falsely for asylum. We'll just turn up to LAX. Yeah, have, a, have, our, have our three weeks in the States and once we've seen the Grand Canyon and walked down Fifth Avenue and caught a Broadway show and done all that, then we apply for asylum and get sent, and get sent to Mexico. Straight to, straight to Cancun. I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. I, look, this is a wonderful idea. So, although I was going to really give an elephant stamp to uh, Laura Ingraham for stupidity, I... You're right. She has really hit upon something excellent here. So we should congratulate her. So thank you, Laura Ingraham. Uh, and my third elephant stamp goes to the four-year-old child of Howie Manns, uh, who said on Twitter the other day uh, that uh, his four-year-old has decided that the phrase as a pancake is, is a modifier of degree, uh, an intensifier. So you have flat as a pancake is very flat, cool as a pancake is very cool and ha happy as a pancake is very happy. I, I think that's lovely. Dave, the happy singer here, here in Sydney replied, well, your four-year-old is clearly smart as a pancake, which I think is great. Uh, and then uh, Summer Saraf also brought into the conversation and uh, she, I think it's a she, said uh, a cousin of hers once told us to be quiet because his teddy bear was wide asleep and that Really, what he obviously meant was asleep as a pancake. I love these sorts of little linguistic twists. I, uh, when I was at high school, I had a friend who had an all-purpose simile, which was uh, like a bastard. So one would be running like a bastard or uh, uh, thinking like a bastard or prevaricating like a bastard. It was the all-purpose. Apparently, bastards did everything. 
in his world. And well, um, very useful. Yeah, I, I mean the the the, uh, the American one, Ass, is similar. There was an episode of the podcast Lexicon Valley on this quite recently, where you know you have a big ass car. <laughs> yes. You know you have a. a <laughs> you know, a hard-ass job uh, and all of these things. It's got nothing to do with buttocks no. well, at, at all. And I love these generic intensifiers. As a grown-ass grown man, I'm, I'm glad to hear it has nothing to do with buttocks. This podcast is made possible by you, the listener, the generous listener through your subscriptions and one-off contributions. Uh, and there have been a few recently because I put the subscription thingy back online. A cheeky red subscription has been bought by uh, David King, by Paul uh, Davis, and uh, by one person who wishes to remain anonymous. And a flat white uh, subscription has been bought by Tom Sear. And look, that's lovely because every every subscription helps. Uh, other people who have uh, made one-off contributions very generously are Crispin Harris, Daniel O'Connor, David King again, same one, Carl Oscar twice. Carl Oscar's a bit of a regular. Paul McElwee, another regular. Simon Harris, another regular. And four more people who choose to remain anonymous. Thank you very much. If you would like to subscribe, the subscribe to Edict thingy is back up. There are added benefits. Uh, go to skank.com.au slash subscribe. That'll explain all the details. Uh, or if you just want to do a, a one-off contribution, go to stillgarian.com slash tip. I know that they're on separate domains, but you'll, you'll figure it out. They're all going to be uh, co-located soon because I did actually buy the domain uh, the9pmedic.com but but I haven't had a chance to put them all together. So skank.com.au slash subscribe or stilgarian.com slash tip and although there's, there's, there's been a few in there, uh, very few people have uh, decided to cash in their benefits. Someone who has chosen to do so is Ruben Sharda again another regular contributor, thank you Ruben, who has thrown in the conversation topic or trigger word, at least, polites. Now, Nicholas, uh, you are still living in Adelaide. You will know what the word polites is all about. Well, I do now, but like most South Australian children, I grew up vaguely wondering occasionally why every third building in town had this oddly misspelt version of the word polite on a big sign uh, that simply said that. It never, for those who haven't seen it, those who don't know Adelaide, those signs were ubiquitous and simply said in all capital letters, polites. Uh, but in blue and in white. In blue and white. Sometimes white on blue, mostly white on blue, but sometimes blue on white. And never obviously connected with any business. One could never work out exactly where one could go to buy a polites or uh, what one might get at a polites store because there, were, there never was one. Um, it was just a name attached to many, many buildings. And it was only in adulthood that I learned who he was. Yes, it is indeed a name. Uh, and uh, thank you for asking, Ruben, because I, it's clear from uh, minutes, nay, seconds of research on the internet that this is a common uh, question that people have about Adelaide, which is, what is Polites? Well, it turns out that Polites is Mr. Constantine George Polites, who was born in 1919 at Port Pirie in the uh, mid-north of South Australia. Port Pirie is mostly noted for being the smelting uh, city for uh, silver and lead ore and probably zinc from Broken Hill. 
Uh, Port Pirie is the, the nearest water from Broken Hill in the far west of New South Wales, and a, a very early railway line down there to bring the ore to Port Pirie for smelting. Uh, and just as an aside, uh, one of the treats as as a kid when I grew up in in, in uh, Adelaide was going to visit smelters at Port Pirie because you can do it in a day trip. And uh, it's fantastic because, you know, you got to wander around with very little protective equipment, breathing, you know, lead fumes and all sorts of other wonderful things. Uh, and one of the little things they used to do is they would show you like an ingot of pure silver that they just smelted. And the, the thing was, they'd always say, well, if you can lift that that ingot of silver, you can keep it because it was, you know, like 20, 30, of oh, now, probably $50,000 worth of silver. I don't know. It's, it's Silver is dense, right? And and uh, an ingot of silver is pretty serious stuff. But apparently, in the eighties, I think it was on the, the the tour through was this big biker chap, and he went, "All right, I'll give it a go." And of course, he could deadlift this this ingot of silver. And I mean, offer made and accepted. So he walked away with you know thirty grand worth of pure silver, and they they no longer play that game. Uh, back to uh, Con Pilates, as he was universally known. Uh, born 1919, as I say, Greek farming parents, uh, but he set up at the age of 16 a deli and snack bar. He was obviously a, a, a business-oriented person from, from day one. When he was 19, he moved down to Adelaide and just worked in the Woolworth store and then started uh, uh, growing his own businesses. Uh, and... That included real estate and became immediately about real estate. Uh, and for reasons uh, best known to him, he decided to put a blue and white sign with his name on, on each building he bought. Now, he says in an article in Adelaide A to Z uh, that it wasn't about his ego, but a feeling of satisfaction that one has achieved success and you let people know that you are around. So ego then. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, and he just was a wheeler and dealer in real estate. Uh, according to this article, in the 70s and 80s, he bought and sold hundreds of properties in the Adelaide CBD, uh, mostly down Hindley Street, the nightclub slash entertainment strip, similar to King's Cross in Sydney or wherever in other places. So, uh, you know, his his customers were people like uh, publicans, nightclub owners, uh, people in the restaurant trade uh, and other legitimate businessmen uh, of various kinds. Uh, and he was often seen driving around town in a 1977 Cadillac, which I believe had an open roof, smoking a cigar. He's dead now. He died in 2001. Uh, his sons have taken over the real estate business, as you as you might expect. But even in death, uh, he's he's ended up in the news. Uh, ten years after his death in 2011, uh, ten shots were fired at his former home. Uh, we don't really know what that was about. Uh, and then in 2016, this is such an Adelaide story. In 2016, his grave was desecrated. It was excavated. And a dead cat wrapped in a towel was dumped into the grave. And I, I love the line here. The excavation was believed to be connected to a suspicious package found at an Adelaide home. Police removed the package and said it was not dangerous. Why, 
So Why is that such an Adelaide story? <laughs> Why is putting a dead cat in someone's grave an Adelaide story? <laughs> public, public service announcement, everyone. To all of you who have not been to Adelaide, most of us spend none of our time at all putting dead cats with, you know, in people's graves. It's been, it's been years. And, and yet, and yet, that. and yet, yes, that's right. <laughs> so that's, that's the story of Compolites. Um, Look, it's worth it's it's worth looking up. I, I I I have seen him here listed as a flamboyant property tycoon. I I I don't think they've got that right because flamboyant means something quite different. I think colourful business identity uh, is is really the correct phrase to use here. Because, because yes, I think that's all I want to say about compilities at this particular juncture. But thank you, Ruben, for asking. Um, do do look him up. Uh, Constantine George Pilates. Uh, he he was a figure. He did make squillions of dollars. Uh, his name keeps popping up in connection with the real estate belonging to nightclubs and brothels and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, but apparently, uh, if you did business with him, he, you know, you, if you were a tenant in one of his buildings, you, you pay your rent. You get done. It wasn't a slumlord in that sense. He, he, he did things properly. Um, I, I no. I'll, yeah, I, uh, 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 there's a story there for another time. Thank you very much. We are powering through this episode of The Edict. I, I just want to say that I won't be saying anything this episode about the the tragedy, the terrorist attack in Christchurch in New Zealand. Uh, I think enough people have said enough things about that and are still saying things about that that I have nothing constructive to add except my own version of both the grief and the anger. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, I will mention uh, one thing I saw about the the global demonstration by school students uh, objecting to the lack of action on climate change. I, I just want to point to one photograph of one sign uh, that I saw where a kid's holding up the sign, is this really the world we want to leave for Keith Richards? Magical work. Will Keith Richards, is it possible for Keith Richards to die? I don't think so. Keith Richards, you know, is the, the, the final demonstration of the fact that uh, it is possible for a man who looks like a scrotum to go on living forever. Speaking of David Lanhelm, no, sorry, <laughs> That's a joke for another time, although I, I see uh, today as we record this on the 21st of March, he uh, has resigned from the Senate and someone else has uh, replaced that. He's, he's having a go at uh, the New South Wales upper house in the election, uh, which comes up this coming Saturday. So there's something to look forward to. As I said, we, it is almost certain that Mark Latham will get that One Nation spot. How's that? Mark Latham in the New South Wales upper house. In other news, uh, 21st Century Fox, the Murdoch Empire, has just been sold to the Walt Disney Company for $71.3 billion. So that means Disney owns Fox's film and TV studio, the FX channel, National Geographic, and also Fox's 30% stake in Hulu, the streaming service in the US, which means uh, that uh, Disney now owns 60% of Hulu. Uh, and Disney also now owns Star India, a media company that uh, has a, a huge audience 
in India. Uh, and I, I love this story in, uh, I think it's Vanity Fair, which says, Disney chairman Bob Iger released a statement praising the deal like as if he would do anything else. Um what else have we got here? Uh, the the Federal uh, Department of the Environment in Australia doesn't actually know if the threatened species programs are being implemented or not because they haven't bothered keeping track. So there's excellence in public service and government governance right there. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, that that all frustrates me. Nicholas, you have something about Nazis, I understand. So that should cheer us. Yeah, up. I, one of the most interesting articles I've seen. In last week comes from the current edition of The Economist. Uh, Mark Latham is one of those illustrations of a fairly repeating pattern, it seems to me, of uh, old men particularly who in their advancing years suddenly take a, a sudden and, and disastrous lurch to the right. Um, I think we've all probably got can think of a relative or two who, who fits the pattern. But this is even more than the the kind of traditional people become more conservative as they get older because they have more assets to protect and uh, it's good for older people to settle into patterns. You know, it's good for the, the young people to be the ones that want to change the world. If you have too much uh, progressiveness, for want of a better word, then everything changes too fast and society falls apart. But if you have too much conservatism... Society can't adapt to changing circumstances, so there is a, a natural. But this is something much more extreme. Yeah, that's more. right. But this is, but this, oh, there absolutely. is definitely a certain. Uh, and I'm, I'm convinced there's a PhD in it. Someone for someone who wants to actually study the brain pathology of people who, sometime in their sixties, uh, lurch from yes, a, a naturally conservative uh, outlook on life to out and out xenophobia, racism, and flag-waving jingoism. It's, 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 quite, it's quite bizarre. Are you suggesting that we scoop out Mark Latham's uh, Well, obviously, brain? I'm not going to do it because, you know, I'm a delicate flower who needs his rest, but somebody, <laughs> some, somebody should, and somebody should slice it very, very thinly indeed and uh, take a lot of photographs and, um, well, I mean, that's an end in itself, surely. Um, but now the... <laughs> <laughs> as a, as a countervailing that. narrative to the to the to the one that just says that all Nazis are, are old white men who've just got really really weird in their old age, there's an absolutely fascinating. We have war in England, England, but we also have a fa- and and what's that? Some Southern. What's her first name in the Canadian? Uh, is she a Lauren? Lauren? Laura Southern. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren Southern. I can't remember. We managed uh, to keep her out, didn't we? So, have you noticed how they all look the same? Well, too? I thought all. They're all these skinny, skinny white yeah, blonde Well, I women. thought that's what all American women look like. I've, no, no, I've I've been to America quite a few times, and I can assure you that the that that broadly speaking, the shape of Americans is not right. thin. So it's just the ones who make it on television spouting nonsense are all skinny white women with mouths bigger than their own faces. Yes. Anyway, well, America's <laughs> weird. So the, this 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 week is Economist actually though. Put up a just an absolutely fascinating little nugget. They've they've started doing in the Economist a, a, an occasional, for want of a better word, sort of data science or um, data journalism or uh, graphical uh, uh, presentation of data in 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 one little bite sized piece. And the one this this week taught me a few things that I did not know and would not have suspected. The first was that. Um, Germany after the at, the at the end of the Second World War, an enormous number of of migrants moved back to Germany, refugees essentially from parts of Europe that had been German uh, up until the end of the Second World War and were now no longer as a large slice of what is now Poland, for example, and and Sudeten Czechoslovakia, etc. And so quite a lot of them moved back to the to the extent that 
uh, a substantial fraction of northern Germany was in fact these returned refugees, which utterly put a blender through these sort of demographics, etc. So for the purposes of the analysis that was done in this, those states are not so useful. But in some parts of the of the country, particularly in the south and west, the population has been so stable for so long that they can take the map from the 1933 election, the one that brought Hitler to power, albeit with a minority, but you know, he got 30% of the vote or whatever and managed to form a government following it. Uh, and compare that with the 2017 election and con- compare the voting patterns for those who th- those areas which voted for the National Socialist German Workers' Party in 1933 and those who voted for the alternative for Deutschland. Now, nobody's saying that the AFD are out-and-out Nazis, but they're very conservative, very nationalistic, very sort of anti-immigrant platform, Eurosceptic, would like to see Germany out of the EU, all of that. And when they map these, uh, the whole sort of areas of, of Baden-Württemberg and North Rhine-Westphalia, they could the, the, and mapped where the areas people voted for the Nazis in '33 and had voted for AFD in 2017 and where they had not done so well, those parties. And they were incredibly similar. Um, and that thought just, just blows my mind. The thought that 90 years between these two sets, sets of elections, 85 years between these two sets of elections – with all of the changes in, in Europe ever since in, in that period, three generations come and gone, and pretty much the same towns are voting left and the same towns are voting right as happened way back then. The same places are finding those messages of exclusion and suspicion of foreigners attractive then as now. I saw a similar chart that... Uh that tracked that sort of voting, uh, well, through the Balkans, which is, you know, fairly obvious that they've had more recent troubles in the 1990s and so on, and some other places as well, uh, even even fine-grained stuff in the United States, which, as you all know, the red and blue states still follow, broadly speaking, uh, the, the, the start line of the American Civil War. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely incredible now to think that, I mean, that's the Civil War. It's now nearly 160 years ago, that Civil War, and you can still see that written in the demographics and in the electoral politics of the country. Um, quite astonishing. I don't have anything funny or interesting or witty to say about that, but that was the, that was the most interesting thing I've stumbled across in the, in the media this week. This is fascinating stuff, Nicholas. Well, look, speaking of Nazis, uh, on Sky News – the other morning, uh, Senator Linda Reynolds, who is the Minister for Defence Industry at the moment. I haven't checked this morning's memo to see who the ministers are, uh, but but there we go. Uh, she was being interviewed by David Spears, who's a really fine journalist over at Sky News. The Walkley are winning David Spears. Uh, and he asked her, do you agree with the sentiment that flexibility in wages and keeping wages at a relatively modest level is a deliberate feature of our economic architecture to actually drive jobs growth? And she answered, no, I don't believe that. Absolutely not. And as and Bill Shorten to even suggest that, he's a Labor leader, for him to even suggest that I think shows a fundamental lack of understanding about economics. And then Spears said, well, I'm actually quoting Matthias Corman, the finance minister here, your colleague minister. He says that wages flexibility is, quote, a deliberate feature of our economic architecture. Reynolds, he's absolutely right. 
<laughs> just this beautiful, beautiful turning around within moments of whether she believed something or not. Such grace, such pirouetting. It must. It must be. It was nice to hear politicians directly contradict themselves within a space of about ten seconds, because it does give you the the break from the constant barrage of lies that uh, that, you know, that 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 to that, a new that, to a new kind of lie. Well, yes, but it's it's absolutely wonderful when you hear ones when when you hear them say two diametrically opposed thing, and you you walk away from the thing thinking, well, at least one of those must be true. I finally heard. I finally heard a minister say. It's the first time in you know three weeks I've heard a minister say something that they did not know as a matter of certainty to be a falsehood. I just don't know which. I just don't know which it was. <laughs> it's either true or not true, depending true. on who's saying it. I suppose that's true as well. Uh, magic stuff. Well, look to finish. I think bongs. Uh, and uh, here's a little clip from uh, ABC Radio up in the. Uh, northern parts of uh, New South Wales from just the other day. Paul Pearson has been making bongs for as long as he can remember. A bong is a smoking implement, much like a cup is a vessel for water. It's just a device, a bit like a grandpa pipe, same thing. It's just filtered through water. I've always had an interest in bong making and art. I've been doing it all my life. I've even made them out of dolls, plastic lobsters. Doesn't matter. I'm loving the idea of a bong made out of a plastic lobster. <laughs> I think that is that is magical. So much more uh, convenient than making one out of a real lobster. I think the lobster would object. Well, I, well, possibly. Depends how much. Depends how stoned it got. I suspect. Now, uh, Paul Pearson uh, is currently living in a town uh, called Woodenbong, <laughs> and here's here's of the view that what, Woodenbong. What is that an indigenous word for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, it, it is a thing. Hang on, <laughs> there will now be a brief break. Hang on, I'll find this. Well, according to uh, Gloria Williams, who's uh, a local uh, indigenous elder from the uh, uh, Gitable tribe or Gittable Clan, I should say, the town's name is adapted from a local Indigenous word called, uh, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation here, but Nangumbunj, or Nangumbunj, which some say it means duck on water, uh, but as Williams said, she'd been told it means place of the platypus. Uh, I think that's a a sad indictment, actually, of how much uh, of our Indigenous languages we have lost. But it's either about a duck or a platypus. Or right? a smoking implement. Or a smoking implement. Um, the, the local town is actually quite conservative and they don't like the idea. Um, uh, but what I love in all these stories is that, uh, to quote from the written version of the story at uh, the ABC News website, Paul Pearson makes bongs, devices commonly used to smoke cannabis, although his creations are ornamental artworks, because aren't they always? They certainly are. My uh, the, the, the Happy Herbs shop in Bank Street here in, in Adelaide uh, is, well, is very, ha- we're very happy to show you its large collection of ornamental vases. Yes. Uh and and this strikes me as odd because I mean yes yes ornamental vases I I don't hear many uh, people decorating their their new home or apartment going oh the living room's looking a bit sparse don't you think yeah it is a bit what should we do I know let's buy an ornamental wooden bong 
yes, cool. Because <laughs> you could get a nice little festive set of Bic lighters in different colours to put on. They, but they're devotional flames, you must understand. <laughs> uh, and, and when I... I I was the other day rummaging for a photograph of these multicolored collections of Bic lighters. I found that Bic make a special edition Bob Marley series of lighters. No one else, no what, no one else in the entire history of the human race has a special edition series of Bic lighters apart from Bob Marley. So I assume that these two are purely ornamental artworks. Oh, and I now have a li- I now have a new life goal, <laughs> which is to be- to become the second person to have a a special edition Bic lighter named you know, for me. I think that's magic. Thank you, Nicholas, for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Still, as always, do be good, be well. I shall indeed. See you next time. Well, that's all the edict for this moment in time. Don't forget you can support this uh, podcast over at skank.com.au slash subscribe or stillgerian.com slash tip. The next episode of this podcast will be when we get around to it. Until then, I'm Stillgerian. Have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.